Welcome to the second episode of the Crashing Into Potential podcast. Today we are going to be reading chapter 2 up to page 27. Enjoy. G'day folks. Welcome to the Crashing Into Potential podcast. In this podcast, we're going to be talking about resilience. That is getting back up after you have been knocked down. My name is Scott B. Harris, and I'm the author of the book, Crashing Into Potential, Living With My Injured Brain. It's a memoir that I have written and published that outlines my story of resilience after a major motorbike accident that nearly took my life. This podcast is designed to take what's inside of me and bring it out so that you can feel motivated to crash into your own potential. Brace yourself, because the podcast is about to start. Welcome back to episode number two of the Crushing In Potential podcast. Now, one of the reasons that I'm reading this book out aloud to you is that there there might be there might be students out there that are that are studying this studying my book in in their class, and they might feel a little bit embarrassed. They might feel like their reading skills aren't really where they should be. Aren't where where their classmates are. And that they, they 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 feel that they really lack in that skill. Now, I just want to say to all of those people out there that if there's anybody that need, that that should be embarrassed, and that's me. I am 35 years old, and if you listen to my first episode, you'll be able to tell that I am not a confident reader. But I'm doing this podcast to put my, you know, to put my put myself on the line and put it out put it out there into the world that it doesn't matter how bad you are at something. As long as you're giving it a go, that's all that matters. You might not be able to tell, but there was a lot of editing that went into that. And there was a lot, my, my, my reading, my reading just is not up to the standard and as fluent as it should be at my age. So don't ever feel embarrassed because it can always be improved. Okay, here we go. First off, I'd just like to show my gratitude for you taking the time out of your day to listen to what I have to say. Time is the most precious resource that we can never get back. So I really appreciate you spending your most valuable asset on me, listening to what I have to say. So thank you for that. Okay, so this is chapter 2 called Landing in Hospital, and it's on page 14. The quote that goes with this chapter is, Scott does what he wants when he wants, by the Harris family. Off I fly straight to the Royal Melbourne Hospital to have a spontaneous encounter with some of the best surgeons in the world. Meanwhile, back at the site, everything was surreal. The nightmare was quickly becoming reality for everyone involved. Before the police did their report, they they gave my mother a call informing her that her son had been involved in a motorbike accident and that he was in a coma being flown to the hospital. This is the call that no one wants to get, especially not the world's most caring mum. Her kids are everything to her. This just added to the cobweb of horror movie scenes that happened that day. Mum, otherwise known as Deborah, rang my brother-in-law, Cliff, in a panic. She rang him because... There was no way she could keep up, keep it together long enough to speak to my sister Nicole. The best chance she had 
was to talk to anyone other than her own blood. She knew that talking to Nicole would open up the waterworks for both of them. To tell her oldest child that her youngest son was fighting for life would have been too much. Nicole and Cliff raced over to Mum's house to find out what, she, what was wrong. And then they took Mum straight to the hospital. This was on a sunny Saturday afternoon and my brother Brett and, and father Victor were out playing golf. I would sometimes be with them, but not that day. On the way to the hospital, my sister rang Brett to tell him the news. My brother and dad raced off the golf course mid-round and they went straight to the hospital, the intensive care unit to be more precise. At this point, the family did not know what to think as they didn't know what state I was in at the time. All that they were told was to go to the hospital as soon as possible. When they arrived, the first question they asked was, is he alive? Yes, was the perfect response they received. Like a great partnership, we arrived at hospital at the same time. I had just been flown in and they wheeled me off the helipad, straight in to see the professionals. This was, of course, in plain view, giving my family their first and possibly their last glimpse of me alive. Everyone I knew, everyone knew I was in a serious way, but no one was prepared to see me like that. Unrecognisable is the only way they describe it when they tell me about it now. Mixed emotions were flying around in that moment. The consensus was that my chances of survival were pretty slim. The family were put into a private room. They knew that a private room meant business. Things were not looking good. While they were waiting, the doctors were doing all the tests necessary, necessary to, est to establish a good report for them of this bad situation. Bleeding from my skull and bleeding on my brain were the biggest threats because both, but until both stabilised, the outcome would not be known. The most knowledgeable and skilled people in the medical profession could not give my family the answers they were so desperately longing for, but they simply because they simply didn't know. This left my family with so many unanswered questions lingering in the corridors of hell. The likelihood of my brother's best man not even lasting the night was a hard reality to cope with. What they did know was that my face was hanging off my skull because it had been severely damaged. Damaged to the point that my own mother could not even picture that cheeky, that cheeky little grin she'd become accustomed to for the past 23 years. Her initial thoughts when I, when I was wheeled in from the helipad were, oh my god, that guy looks horrific. I hope Scott's looking better than that. I think that says it all really. I'm just glad I wasn't there to witness my family having to deal with the pain that hit them at that time. A face construction was required to piece my face back together. The orthopedic surgeon would have to insert 10 titanium plates onto my skull. They also knew that I had severe ligament damage at the base of my neck, but my spinal cord was okay. So just going out of the book here also, uh, it was, I'm not sure why I wrote at the base of my neck, it was uh, at the base of my skull that I had ligament damage. So where my, where my skull meets my neck, that, that was where the ligament damage was done. As stupid as it sounds, I'm grateful that I was hit as hard as I was because that stopped me from standing up and risking further damage. The movement of millimetres could have been enough to leave me a quadriplegic. From the moment of the impact until this point, my neck had not moved. This reduced the chance of any further spinal cord damage to less than 1%. Back at the property, another group of mates from school had arrived to find everyone in a state of disbelief. 
As the night went on, the reality of what had happened that day sank further and further in. The first obstacle my family faced was spreading the word. How were they going to hold it together well enough to tell family and friends? While fighting back tears, mum made phone call after phone call no mother would want to make. With our family and friends scattered all the way up the east coast of Australia, it was her job to spread the word on the ground. The initial calls were like a nightmare and everyone produced a sickening feeling of anxiety that struck mum from head to toe. But she knew, as a mother, it was up to her to make sure our closest tribe members, that is our family and friends, were up to speed. This she did all the time. She didn't stop. With every change in my state, mum would make more calls, keeping everyone informed. Scott moved his index finger today. Scott's brain stopped swelling. Or, it's swelled again, but now it's slowly reducing. These were insignificant changes to the outside world, but in mum's mind, they were the difference between Scott may walk out of here one day and Scott may be wheeled out of here in a body bag. I can feel a lump in the back of my throat even as I write this. I can't begin to imagine how she did it. While mum was crying over the while mum was crying down the phone, dad was crying over the keyboard. My father set up a group email to inform family and friends of what had happened and my progress. Although although not everyone was able to visit me in hospital, there were many people around the world who really did care about my well-being. This first email was on Monday the 17th of November 2008. Hi guys, I'm not sure who has been informed of our Scott's motorbike accident. Saturday afternoon, he was airlifted to the Royal Melbourne Hospital and he was put into an induced coma. His face is a mess and will need rebuilding and as a consequence, he will need a tube to allow breathing until his face is repaired. They think that his neck and his back are okay, but we do not know what injury there is to the brain until he wakes and can respond accordingly. He is stable and the pressure inside his head is normal for now. There is bruising and shearing on the brain, but to what extent, we do not know. He has twice been scheduled for surgery to repair his face, but cancelled due to other helicopter trauma arrivals. Tonight, he was slightly less sedated and he responded by moving his arm. They cannot fully bring him out because he tries to remove remove the breathing tube. I guess that's a good sign in itself. We are putting together an email group list and will provide updates when news is available. Feel free to call, but as you realise, mobiles are off in the ICU, so we don't get them sometime until later on. Regards, Harris family. Once Dad started writing, we will get the occasional response, but the truth is that a lot of people did not know what to say and didn't want to say the wrong thing. From my point of view, that's totally understandable because it is only the very unlucky people in this world that have to deal with such things, and not everyone is equipped with the skills to handle tragic and terrible events. The following day, I went in for surgery. Being in surgery for the day gave Vic time for some email therapy. Not only not only was it a help to everyone on the outside, it was also a massive help to the man weeping on the inside. This email was on Tuesday, the 18th of November, 2008. Hi all, Scott went into surgery at 12.30 today to repair his broken face. On his return later, later today to ICU, they intended to slow, slowly withdraw the medication that has him in a state of coma. This morning, they played around with this and he moved arms and legs slightly. 
His first reaction was to reach for the ventilation tube, which was gagging him. These are all positive signs at this stage. It is hoped that the surgery will, will repair the nasal area, which is currently preventing him from breathing on his own. Regards, Harris family. P.S. We have a bike for sale if there is any interest. As one moment would pass, there was another. There, as as one moment would pass, there was new hope. Following that moment would come another that wasn't as good, which was then followed by a positive evaluation of my state. This gives an insight to the tension that was in the air in those first few days of uncertainty. Four days in, and the actual physical damage I had done to my body was still not known, which only meant one thing: more tests. This next email was on Wednesday, the 19th of November, 2008. Hi all. All a bit slow and I guess I'm getting a little impatient. However, this morning the medication that was keeping him sedated was due for change and he started moving his hand around. He could obviously hear us because he responded to the nurse's nurse's instructions. This was only for a couple of minutes as he was put back under in readiness for a scan of his face at 2pm. This is to check that what was done in the operation yesterday is in keeping with that expected. He needed an MRI as well, but that was cancelled due to another emergency. This all adds to the weight and thus the impatience. The positives today have us on a, on a bit of a high. I'm sure they will be balanced out over the journey, but we'll enjoy them while we can. We are back to the hospital this evening, so I'll leave it at that for now. Regards, Harris family. The first response came from one of Vic's old colleagues, Annie Russell, who hadn't been in touch with Dad for a long time, but she had a caring heart. Maybe it was the 30 years of service they both gave to Northern Melbourne Institute of TAFE. This was the email by Annie Russell, and this was on Wednesday, the 19th of November, 2008. Thanks so much for the update. It is considerate of you. Thinking of you and your family a lot. Wish I could do something useful. Have everything crossed. Love to you, Annie. My family was five days into the nightmare at this stage, and the emails kept rolling in from far and wide. On Thursday, the 20th of November, 2008. Dear Vic, Deb, Nicole and Brett, I am so terribly sorry about Scott's accident, and it's ongoing distress for you all. I can only imagine how horrific it is. You have all, and Scott of course too, been much on my mind, and I am sending you all my best wishes and hopes that soon you can have the news you so want to hear. That is, he is doing just fine. May it be so. Lots of love, Kath. After a gruelling week, my family was told the state, my state had stabilised and that the doctors were thinking of reducing the medication that was keeping me in a vegetative state. The first battle in this war was almost half over. The next unknown was whether or not I would actually wake up. As a kid... I was always the last the last one at the kitchen table to finish my dinner. While Brett and Nicole were watching TV or fighting or having fun, I was still eating my meal. I wasn't fussy. In fact, there wasn't a food I wouldn't eat. But to put it simply, I was painfully slow. So knowing I was naturally a slow kid, my family just applied that to my waking up. A week later, I began to come to the party, fashionably late. But... I was getting there. This is an email on Saturday the 22nd of November 2008. Hi all. It's been a very long and at times very slow moving week. Firstly, 
Thank you to all your all your kind wishes and offers for help. I can assure you that it is greatly appreciated. Friends and family are very important at this stage. We have received many calls and I, and I apologize if we have either gotten back to you late or in some cases missed you in the net. The week has been a contradiction of, of sorts. Nothing much to report but lots of small forward and promising moves. The situation in ICU is that if, you, if your condition is stable and another emergency arises, your needs move down the list. So this week has seen Scott's face reconstruction and 11 metal plates inserted. He remained on the ventilator and heavily, in brackets, very sedated with a tube down his throat delivering oxygen. Attempts were made during the week to remove this tube, but to date this has not happened. Why? Very complicated, but briefly, this will not happen until the orthopedic surgeon is happy with the condition of Scott's neck. They wish to ascertain whether or not there is any ligament damage. Apparently, these ligaments are attached to the bone, and if damaged, present issues for the bone to move. It could possibly cause problems with the spinal cord. So we have a catch-22. Can't move the breathing tube until this is cleared. Scott can't have the tube in without it without being sedated because of the choking situation, etc., etc. Thus, he has been heavily sedated for what feels like us to be an eternity. Until he comes off sedation, we are not in a position to assess his overall state of health. That will come when the doctors can ask Scott questions and assess his condition by responses gained. Yes, we are frustrated, but I guess the longer he is sedated, the better chance of stabilising his condition. There have been moments throughout the week that give us hope that he will pull through in some way. How well? Nobody can say. So we can only hope and pray for the best possible. When sedation has been reduced, there has been movement, in brackets, strong on his left side, which is his dominant, and not so strong on the right, close brackets. He tries to remove the tube at times, and, he's, and he has squeezed hands in recognition of us being there with him. So, where are we at the end of week one? One, Scott's still with us. Two, he is moving slightly. 3. His face is looking good. Surgeons have done a marvellous job. 4. Get ourselves ready for week 2. Plus, 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 plus. Our routine is basically get up and go around 9.30-10am for a couple of hours. Come home, answer calls, etc. Have a rest and then go back in around 6pm and stay until whenever, depending on Scott's state of awareness. While in the hospital, it's mobile's off. So if you wish to get through to us, the best time would be mid-afternoon and around 9 to 9.30 p.m. if you want more than I can give you via this email. Feel free to pass this info on to any other interested party not currently on my email list. Drop me an email address of anyone who wishes to be added to the mailing list. This way, I feel as though there is a consistent message feeding out to all rather than having it interpreted differently along the way, then passed on to others incorrectly. Regards, Harris family. The return of the test results were bad enough to cause worry in the Harris camp, but the positive news was that the doctors knew more about the damage that had been done and felt they could fix it. I sustained two broken neck vertebrae and major ligament damage to the base of my skull, which was enough to warrant panic. They decided a serious procedure was in order. 
Sunday the 23rd of November in 2008. Hi all, we spoke to the orthopaedic surgeon tonight and she confirmed from the MRI that there was ligament damage at the base of Scott's skull. The ligament has torn away from the bone and has left a fracture in the C5 and C6 vertebrae. The way forward now is to place a halo around his head attached to his skull and this will in turn be attached to the body harness of sorts to hold his head and neck secure until the damage repairs. This procedure will be done tomorrow morning and the halo will stay on for 6 to 12 weeks. In the event that damage does not heal, then fusion will be the next option. Fusion would require a joining of a couple of vertebrae close to his skull, which would in turn cause some restric- restrictive movement, but not, secu- not severe. At this stage, once this has been done, they will turn their attention to gradually waking him up and hopefully removing the breathing tube. What they don't want to do is remove it and then find that they have reinserted it. I guess we're now buckling in for a long haul. Good night all. Regards, Harris family. Everyone wanted updates, but it was very hard to provide them when not much was happening. Vic didn't want to just put down verbal diarrhea in his emails. So until anything happened, there was not much he could say. On Wednesday the 26th of November, 2008. Hi all. Guess you have been wondering where the where the updates have gone. Sorry, but sometimes it's a little bit hard to keep upbeat when there's not much happening. For the past few days, Scott has been a little stubborn, not wanting to do the things that we want in the time frame that would suit us. He has be, appeared to be well and truly in the world of his own, doing as he wants, when he wants. Today, we were greeted with a nurse that told us that she had not witnessed any response during her shift and that left us a little despondent. She then indicated that the neurosurgeon was thinking of doing an MRI that would need to take the halo off because of the metal frame, would interfere with the x-ray machine, etc. Another setback. Well, tonight, Deb and I decided to treat ourselves to crayfish at the Old England Hotel and let Nicole and Cliff do the visiting. Well, it's as though he doesn't want us there because he decided in our absence he'd do his little tricks. That's right, Scott does what he wants, when he wants. The neurosurgeon came in, coincidentally, at the time of Nicole's visit and asked her to give Scott a few commands. Scott, accordingly, responded in a way that gave the surgeon encouragement, who then stated that we just need to give him more time. So tonight we are back on the positive pills and looking forward to the coming days in a different light to earlier on. Fingers crossed we'll experience a little more of these encouraging signs in the days ahead. Regards, Harris family. The hardest thing about being in a stable position at that point was that if another trauma patient came in, boom, straight down the list you went. In some cases, this was a blessing in disguise. In my case, it definitely was because it meant that a tracheotomy was delayed and eventually called off. If it wasn't for the trauma that was going on around the world that day, I would be supporting a memorable scar on my throat that would remind me of something that I didn't even that I wouldn't even remember. Sunday the 30th of November 2008. Hi all. Today has been our best to date. When we arrived, Scott was propped up in bed with a breathing tube removed. His eyes opened today for the first time and his responses 
or most promising example. When he was asked to show us two fingers, he gave us the bird. To be serious though, the fact that the tracheotomy was put off on Friday has turned out to be a godsend. Without the tube, he is breathing unaided and we hope that this will be sustained. We have now jumped a few hurdles and with any sort of luck, three or four days might see him out of the ICU and off to the ward to commence rehabilitation. I guess tomorrow we'll confirm his progress can be sustained. The stars are beginning to align. Regards, Harris family. With the first 17 days behind us, the next challenge for me was to start living again. The first step back into the game of life was to get me out of the ICU and down to the ward. At, the, at this stage, the one thing that gave my family a positive, positive vibe was the support from all around the world. First from my uncle, who was in the Philippines, and then my mate, who was travelling abroad in Mexico. Tuesday, the 2nd of December, 2008. Hi guys, it is so good to read Scott's continued progress. It will be, hard to, it will be a hard time for you all. But you know that he's, he's a fighter. I'm so happy that he knows what is going on around him. All great signs. Rehab will work wonders. Love to you all, Uncle John. On Tuesday, the 2nd of December, 2008. Hi all. Housekeeping for you first. Scott has moved house. ICU decided that they did not want him anymore and have packed him off to the ward. For those who have visited him at the Royal Melbourne ICU on level 2 southwest, you now stay in the lift and continue to the 7th floor. He now lives on level 7 southwest, bed 52. Visiting hours are different of that of, of ICU, where we could come and go at visiting times that were more flexible. Now visiting hours are between 2 and 8pm, in brackets strict. Now for the update. He was moved today into a ward for the orthopedic patients. He was, he was placed into a chair for the first time and this will become a four hourly daily routine from now on. He has strong movement on his left side but at this stage minimal on his right. There is definite feeling in his right, in his right leg so we hope that this will repair over time. Tonight we asked him many questions and he responded with a hand slash finger movement. We asked him to smile, and to our shock and amazement, he responded accordingly. Tough cookie is this boy, slash man. His eyes open, but at this stage, not fully. He can see us, and has indicated this fact to us. Today, he received a card from some friends. Deb told him, and went to describe the card, and read it to him. Deb described the front of the card as having an attractive nurse... To which he responded by grabbing the card from her and holding it up to the front of his face. What progress, eh? All this sounds great, but it will continue to be very, very, a very slow journey. When his condition improves a little more, he will be shifted to rehab, but I'm thinking this will be some time off yet. However, given his progress to date, perhaps sooner, ra sooner than later. If you have any questions, please feel free to email them to me and I'll answer individually. At this stage, these updates are travelling to all parts of the globe with his mate Daniel Snedden in Mexico and his uncle and his uncle John in the Philippines. Regards, Harris family. By this stage, the news of my accident had spread as far as England. Another two mates from school were enjoying a year abroad when they got wind of the trauma in Melbourne. They had heard about the group email and they wanted in. On Tuesday the 2nd of December 2008. Hi Vic. 
This is Scott Clark. I'm not sure if you know me. I went to school with Scott and have always been mates with him since our skateboarding days at Research Primary School. I had been seeing a bit of Scotty Harris in the lead up to me heading overseas indefinitely in June this year and when Daniel Stenton got on to me the other week, I just couldn't believe it. I was in in absolute shock. I'm the stepbrother of Daniel Stedden and he's been forwarding me your updates as I've been trying to keep as much up to date as I can with the situation. I've just started to live in London for the next year with another mate, Andrew Hughes, who went to school with Scotty also. We both have been really concerned about Scotty. I was just wondering if you would be kind enough to add Andrew and I to the updates if that was possible. It must be such a hard time for all of you and it's good news to read that he is gradually coming along okay. I'm thinking of Scotty every day over here and hoping he is going to pull through alright. He's a strong kid. I hope everything is coming along okay Vic and our wishes to your family. Kind regards, Scott Clark and Andrew Hughes. Page 26. If I had have known about love and support of all the people in my life, I may have just thought twice about doing one more lap on that day that changed everything. By this stage, I was big news to a select few in Mexico, the Philippines, England and Australia. I would like to say I had celebrity status, but it was all for the wrong reasons. That is page 26 and the end of the second chapter. I'll leave it at that for the day. If anyone's got any questions, jump on my Facebook page or my Instagram and shoot me a message. You'll find me at The Injured Brain. Just type that in on any social media platform and that's where I am. So that's it for today. If you liked what you heard, hit the subscribe button so you do not miss an episode. Better still, hit the subscribe button and leave a review. See you in the next episode.